We've been in the book of James the past few weeks, and James is of the New Testament wisdom literature. And for me, it's been a refreshing thing uh, to find myself at this time in my life and what's going on in the world uh, in the presence of this wisdom literature. Kind of, kind of cuts through some of the noise of the immediate, the things that are distracting. And it helps to give me a longer vision and perspective on where the life that is well lived and I really appreciate that. I appreciate that about we follow this thing called the lectionary readings uh, in our church, and we've been doing that for almost two years. And uh, what, what I love about it is you ever, you ever get in like a rut in your thinking, where no matter what happens in your life, you kind of apply the same logic and thinking to it, and it just kind of cycles and cycles. What I love about being in a, in a church where you're under the lectionary, even myself as a person planning the sermons and the sermons here under the lectionary, is it can kind of like pop you out of that rut of thinking and, and land you somewhere else that sort of forces you to re examine some things that you've started applying to life without really, uh, without really taking a lot of thoughtful consideration. So I'm thankful for that this morning and in the past three weeks when we started. Vision and Mission series uh, coming up after after the Senate, so we can learn and refresh ourselves on the vision and mission of our church. So I have a question for you, and I think it's a question that's inherent in this text. The question is, are you ambitious? Are you ambitious? Are you are you willing to make sacrifices? Or a goal that you have, something that you want to achieve. Are you willing to sacrifice, whether it be your health, your relationships, your uh, your, your your status, and what people think about you, in order to achieve some goal that you have in mind? You might have said, "Well, I, I, I was with you the first part, James." But no, of course, I don't. You say it that way. I, I, I'm not ambitious. I don't want to do that. Um, James is coupling here this sort of idea of ambition with wisdom. And he's talking about two different types of wisdom and trying to help us parse out the differences of what they look like. James is really good at that. He's really good at sort of shaking things and distilling them so that it's easier to understand the difference between two different kinds of lives. And when, when I pair those ideas in my head, wisdom and ambition, one of the images that comes to my mind is like a really wise guru who, who has now become so wise, he sits at the top of a mountain, right? He just kind of meditates. And uh, he's gotten to the point where uh, he doesn't really need anything from anybody else. People come to him uh, to, to ask for wisdom. Uh, but he's in peace, content with himself, and the world is separated and elevated above the world. And, and I don't know if you've ever been attracted to that image of, of a wise person, but, but I know that it's kind of like a stable metaphor 
in, in our world and in our culture that most of us have seen some version of growing up. But I, I, when I think about this sort of on a literal level, I started to ask myself, uh, well, where does this guy go to the bathroom? Right? Come out. And, 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 and who brings him food? Somebody's got to bring him food. He's meditating all the time. He's not cooking. And, and my wife does the vast majority of cooking. And I see how much time it takes and how much uh, goes into that. And I don't think you can meditate for eight hours a day and prepare meals. And I'm like, does he have a bucket that's hidden on the other side of the mountain that he uses to, 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 to use the restroom? Right? And so, so immediately, if you start to unpack this metaphor, and to realize that this, this person would obviously still need other people and other things in order to exist uh, in this sort of uh, peaceful bubble of wisdom and, and independence. But I think that's the very reason why that idea of this wisdom is kind of attractive. Because it, it tells us that there is a place you could hypothetically get to where you no longer need people, you, you no longer can be hurt. You're sort of invulnerable to the world. You're sort of separated and elevated beyond the things that can harm you, bring pain, and make life difficult and complex. And I think all of us can actually relate to some version that there's some version of you in the future that you fantasize about as master parenting or maybe um, a master career got to some point in your intellect or, or your, your physical appearance and physique, some point you should get to where you're like, I'm no longer interested. Or I have achieved. I'm, I'm so wise and perfect in this area that I can no longer be hurt. Anybody ever relate to having that sort of fantasy or whatever? I see a few hands like coming up small, doing back higher because no one can see them in front of them, right? So, just just this idea of being on top of a ladder, top of a mountain, looking down. The James says this, this isn't at all what godly wisdom is like. And, and that godly wisdom is best expressed in actions that are taken through something called meekness, a synonym as humility. And uh, I want us to explore that together this morning. What does James mean by that? How is he contrasting that with a different way of living? And how can that type of godly wisdom become accessible to me? That I can even become ambitious in a sense, for godly wisdom. See, a lot of us have thought that ambition all by itself is wrong. To, to, to exert one's effort towards an end to achieve this goal. But I would argue here in the scriptures that James is asking us to be extremely ambitious, but to a completely different end than what that has come to mean our world and in our culture. So starting here in verse 13, follow along with me here. He says this, Who is wise and understanding among Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility or meekness that comes from wisdom. 
word meek, right? Uh, I want you to imagine what does that look like? What kind of person looks meek? It's in your mind's eye, okay. What kind of person is meek? How does a meek person handle conflict? What does a meek person look like in a high school lunchroom? Or in a bullying situation at work? Or politician? Anybody come up with a less than desirable image for themselves for the word meat? Uh, yeah, for me, I'm like, oh man, that's not exactly what, what I envision as being a wise choice to achieve for my life. It's almost like, you know, the control of the mild-mannered office guy who's always saying excuse me to everybody else and, and the jerks at work playing pranks on and stealing the stapler, relocating his basement to the office, I mean the office to the basement. Some of you all got that reference. So um, I want to take a minute to look at this word translated into meek or humility, just for a moment on the screen. Um, praotes, praotes here on the screen. And, and we, we define it as humility or meekness. Um, but I want us to just spend a, a minute here thinking about this because it's crucial to understand the rest of the text. First of all, Jesus, or Christ, uses this to describe himself multiple times. And when I think of Jesus in his public ministry, I don't think of that office guy relegated to the basement. I think of somebody walking around, uh, telling the truth, healing people, aggressive in how he moves through the world in his kindness and his compassion and his anger and his truth-telling and his care for people. And that's used of Christ many times in scriptures, self-referentially and others referring to him as well. So, for example, in Matthew 11, 29, he says, Come to all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me from gentle and meek humble in heart, and you'll find rest in your souls. So that should clue us in right there that this sort of image of this definition, it's almost like uh, some of us have been told uh, in religious contexts like what you need to do related to this idea of meekness and humility is make yourself smaller, like take up less room. And when I think about Jesus, he took up a whole lot of room everywhere he was. So that makes me think there's more to this word. So I, I kind of went on a deep dive of a word study here. And, and I want to share with you a little bit of an extended quote. So I want you to hang with me. It's going to be on the screen here. Um, and sort of parse this out a little bit better um, for us to gain the wisdom that can happen in this passage. So this, this quote here, starting on the screen, it says, the meaning of this Greek word, priotes, not readily expressed in English. But the terms meekness, mildness, commonly suggest weakness. And pulsolam uh, anemone, which is like a fear of fight, right, to a greater or less extent. Whereas prelotes does nothing to not. And then a little bit later in this, in this uh, word study, I found it must be clearly understood, therefore, that meekness manifested by the Lord. And commended to the believer is the power. How can you 
common assumption is that a man is needy or a woman for that matter is because he or she cannot help themselves. Cannot help themselves. But the Lord is needy because he had the infinite resources that God has given. Described negatively, neatness is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. It is the equanimity of spirit that is neither relatable to passing out simply because it is not occupied with self at all. Um, this phrase here strikes me that meekness, as defined in the scriptures, as James is thinking about as the saints, is not somebody who cannot help themselves, somebody who has no resources or power at their disposal and therefore has no choice but to act subservient to others, but instead somebody who understands the power that they have and does not use it for selfish ends. That's what we mean when we're talking about meekness, what James is talking about meekness. It's the fruit of power that is self-control. And even, we'll get back to this, this negative part is described as, an, as the opposite of self-assertion and self-interest. There's actually a beautiful nugget there that we'll get to as we continue to look at what James is saying. So we're looking at something here that James says, if you want to be wise and understand, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility. So through actions done through meekness, through somebody who understands the power that they possess and yet serves and out of submission to God and of love and gentleness with neighbor. Who serves in his way. And that is the way that demonstrates the common to God and wisdom. So, what does it look like, the selfish ambition, the, the type of ambition that's glorified in our culture very often? He goes on in verse 14 and says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it. Deny the truth. Such wisdom, in quotes, does not come down to heaven that is earthly and spiritual and For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So, James has to make this distinction because I, I, I want y'all to hear this. I, I want you to understand that the, the uh, ethos of Christianity, the, the cultural norms that Christianity has brought into the light of the Western world uh, has transformed how we think about humility. Because in James' day, it was exalted to look at selfish ambition. If you had the power to flex it, to achieve the things you wanted to do, and crush the weak people underneath this was the culture of Rome. This was the culture that James was speaking into. And he's saying, if you think as a leader who is accustomed to the ways of the world, that now you're going to bring that into your leadership in the church, you are going to destroy the church. We see such uh, clear examples of this in our culture, where Christianity has been 
intertwined with leadership who boast about their selfish ambitions and accomplishments and who are still, in fact, called Christian leaders. Man, if James was here, oh, man, people's ears would be burning so bad. He's like, no, that's it. That is the antithesis of a godly Christian leader. Those things don't go together. You can't just slap some Christianese on top of that type of behavior. It doesn't fit, it doesn't work, and it results in chaos. You see. So, James is reframing this situation as with Christ and other uh, New Testament, and that and other Old Testament writers. From humility and meekness being simply some survival tactic for the weak, for the kid who doesn't want to get beat up in school, for the person on the bottom of the social uh, ladder that's just differential to everybody. Okay, not sure at all. Right, yeah, you, you do your thing so that I can survive another day. To being actually something where somebody is imbued with their identity from Christ. This is why so it's this favoritism that we talked about in the past sermon that is imbued with the power of having their identity in Christ as a child of God and exercising the appropriate restraint through humility in the world. Somebody's with me right now. I know what somebody is. So this selfish ambition, he points us in a few words, a few sentences. He says, it leads to bitter envy. Because, because here's the lie of this. Here's the lie of the, the man who's made it to the top of the mountain, the person who's made it to the top of the career ladder because they sacrifice the good, other good things in their life to get there. It, 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 the lie is that if I'm able to change my circumstances enough, if I'm able to get above the fray of everybody else's stuff, then I'll somehow I'll be able to avoid the pain and the realities of life. Impossible acts. Doesn't stop us from trying. Doesn't stop me from trying to avoid my life. God help us. So, James is back. He's prepped us with this already back in the first chapter of this book. He said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. How many of you have felt the testing of your faith since March 2020? If you haven't until then, you have since then. Right? I mean, we all have. He says, let perseverance finish its work. You don't, need to, you don't have to run away from the realities of life. If you let perseverance finish its work, you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He said, if you get all this stuff, that's the thing that won't be lacking anything, but it's actually to move into the pain of life, the realities of life, and let God develop perseverance and the humble wisdom that she might be mature. Uh, when I was in fourth grade, I had this wild fourth grade teacher. She loved, anybody know the gold doll stories, like the awful gold doll? And he had all these like bitches and things like that in stories. They were really scary books to me as a fourth grade. Like Big Friend of John, John, anybody know that one? I slept, my bed, when I, when I read that book in school, 
uh, was up against uh, the window on the second floor of the rental house we lived in. And I slept with my back up against the wall so that I looked in the window, they wouldn't be able to see me because I was up against the wall for like a year of my life. And this teacher, her name is Miss Seller, of course it was, she, she wore like stockings and stuff, like witches, and she had like really dark mascara and all that kind of thing. And every day when we came in the room, the entire board was filled, like the whole blackboard. It wasn't an empty spotlight. Like all of our work in the day was filled, all of the board, except for this one pretty big area that was a drawing. And the drawing had uh, some mountains at the top, and at the bottom it had some water, and in the water were sharks coming up. <laughs> and guess what was populated all over the mountain at different places and close to the water, in the water, with sharks? Yes, what? It was the students, it was the class. All right, so this is way before Dojo and all these sort of cute things they have now. So when you got into class, like you might come back for lunch, and the first thing you do come in is you look to see where are you all at now? Right? And I remember this poor girl, Brina, I remember her, her name, because she was always down there by the sharks. And, and you know, I kind of stay and kind of hovered in the middle of the mountain area most of the time, so I'm like, good, everything's okay. And I just think about this compare, sort of like measuring where people are in life. And isn't that just a picture of what we end up doing if we don't knock off of this track of achievements and certain exteriors defining what gives us worth. Like, oh my gosh, it feels like I'm about to get eaten by sharks. That's how bad I feel, that's how afraid I feel because I'm not performing in this level of my life. And here's the thing. As high as you want to get on that mountain, in reality, no matter how, how many times you look down and see when you look up, you're going to see somebody else there as well. You're never going to be at the top. You're never going to find your fulfillment. This is what James knows. This is why jealousy, looking up and seeing someone above, why they have what I don't have, or looking below, looking down with contempt on the people below you and say, ah, look what I achieved, what you have. Because the truth is, there's always Dwayne Johnson to your head apart. But look on the screen here, this is another visual for you, right? No matter how, no matter how great you get, and what you think's going to give you work, make you feel big, make you feel important, there's always somebody a little bit bigger. Look at that little rock. Look how little he looks. That's the shitty old deal. You ever experienced that? Before, 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 before. Which one's so in verse 16 he says this for where you have envy and selfish ambition there you find disorder and everything cracks so you're looking up and down to your work you're on, you're on the scale you're on the mountain you're measuring and the things that are defined you are what you did that day what you achieved Get that degree, to get that raise, to uh, answer that question in the most clever way possible, to get the best looking spouse or partner, whatever it might be. 
And all those things are great. But when they define you, when they give you value and worth, they become means chaos. Because we're all that mountain or that ladder. We're always looking up again. Never looking aside. You're either seeing somebody as somebody who can give you something you want, or somebody who's trying to get something from you. So you don't need to be good. You can only see people as something to use or as people who want to use you to achieve some end. It's not an end. That's not what we're James says, skipping ahead to chapter 4, verse 1, starting verse 1, he says, So what causes vice and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle with you? You desire but do not have. You covet, but you cannot get what you want for all the life. You do not have because you do not ask God. You don't receive as long as you do. Yeah, even these aren't the prayers of this instead, with this God, the wisdom, the spirit, the spirit of God. And what that provides. So, we can fight these battles internally. Why do they have what, what I should have? I should have that what they have. You shame family members and partners and tell them, you know, so and so, partner does this, has this, responds to things like this. Why aren't you more like them? We've all said those things, we've all heard those things. Said it. Ultimately, James is trying to slap us back in reality and say, look, you can't control all this stuff. It's not going to work. You're just going to destroy your relationships. You ask what you do not have. That's the, that's the mentality we're living in this kind of self-grandizing, uh, self, selfishly ambitious way. No matter how much you get, you never see it happen. So when you ask, you do not receive because you ask the wrong motives and you spend what you get on your pleasures. And I can relate to this, you know, it's just like, um, okay, this is really exhausting living this way. There's always, there's always another step I can't seem to get to. There's always another place that seems out of reach. There's always people wanting something from me. And I need an escape. So I just want to numb out. I just want to get some kind of quick fix in my life. I don't anything. Anything that you use that ends up hurting you other people. Whether it's uh, how you eat, drink, relationship, sex, any of those types of things. But the state, how to get out. But James gives us a lot of them. how do we choose something different? That's what I he says this in verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow peace in the harvest. Righteousness, 
contrasting selfish ambition, whether it be worldly wisdom or anything else, and chaos and quarrel and violent efforts, peace, and the presence of God wisdom in the world. The meanness. I want to bring us back to this quote uh, that I shared earlier. I said we're going to come back to it about the negative way meekness is described. Uh, it says, described negatively, meekness is the opposite to self-service, self-interest. It is equanimity of spirit that is neither humiliated, I, nor cast down, simply because it is not occupied with self at all. I'm not so sure, for me, that that is a negative description of weakness as a whole. Um, because of this line in the middle, it is equally angry in spirit that is neither related nor passed down. See, see, many of us, just because our teachers didn't know any better, they said to be humble means to be making yourself small, taking the drudge of your life, and then you end up feeling resentful about the place that you took because you the inside you want to take that you would do more So you end up being smaller than you are. But the gospel is true as well. Is, is you think yourself to protect yourself, you think yourself to important, able to affect so much change in the world that you never break things. You assign yourself more worth than human has. Either way, whether you're being smaller or oversized, you're running away from responsibility being humiliated. Humility from the third humans. And so James is talking about what does it look like to have a right-sized life. Somebody that can see other people as relational, that when I look at other people, and I see what they can do, I can say, wow, that's really cool. I can't do what you can do. I can do other things, though. This place that James is talking about, this humility, it allows us to see not just our own power, power of people as well. Said, man, I wish I could do that, but I could do these other things. I have that to bring. I do have things to bring to the table. I am valuable and I am important. But so are you. So are you. I have to have what you have. Because I'm made in the age of God, I'm going to do my own set of things from God. So, Amanda talked about gratitude. I think gratitude is such a big part of this practicing. Gratitude, practicing, listing out the things that we're thankful for, speaking those things out loud, combating bitterness and envy by reminding ourselves of what we are thankful for and we can give. So giving up this struggle to achieve some status. Make us feel like we're more than human. 
and giving up the victimhood mentality to convince ourselves we're less than human and people actually need to do things for us completely for ourselves. Right styles. This is my ambition. 
to be able to put down my own ego, my own things I'm convinced are going to bring me this man on the top of the mountain life, and to enter in to the humility to allow something unpredictable to occur. What would it look like if I truly submitted my work out? I allow myself to be in mutual partnership in this church as an individual, as a group, as a collective, to what God might do with our man. Not, not despite it, not in spite of it, but with it. And we need to practice that even as we come to the table. As we come to the table where we get to have mutual creative response to God. Our life is the reality of Christ's life. You can see it as just going through a ritual. You can see it as an act of godly wisdom and ambition for this type of creative mutual act of God. Lord, thank you for your word, thank you for your incredible ways that you have made each of us the gift and aspiration for God and wisdom as you grow that desire in our hearts. You help us to see our community as a way to mutually Thank you.